Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. We would like to thank Allied Magazine for sponsoring this podcast episode. Allied Magazine combines allied health and wellness with a fresh outlook on people who are shaping and shaking up the industry across business, allied health, fitness, and wellness. Whether you are looking for a boost of creativity, professional advice from industry experts, the most exciting new products and technology, Allied Magazine is the only magazine allied health professionals need. And when you sign up to the Derm Health Co. directory as a practitioner, you can receive a complimentary subscription to one month of the digital copy of Allied Magazine. To find out more, go to dermhealth.co or visit alliedmagazine.com. About 1% of the world's population, 50 million people, have vitiligo. In the US, about 2 to 5 million people have this condition. Many people develop vitiligo in their 20s, but it can occur at any age. And the condition affects all races and both sexes equally. A few weeks ago, you may have heard a recent episode with Dr. Adrian Ma, who has a special interest in vitiligo, and he spoke about the treatment, treatments and the prevalence of vitiligo. So if you want to find more about the condition itself, then I recommend that you go listen to that first. But in this podcast episode, we will be speaking with Erica Page of Living Dappled. It's a lot a lifestyle blog dedicated to girls and women with vitiligo. Erica has had vitiligo since she was seven, and she now has 100% vitiligo, which is only 1% of the vitiligo um, audience or population. From a very young age, she experienced how a rare skin condition would change her life forever. Erica shares some of the biggest misconceptions about vitiligo, how it affects not just her life, but those around her, and the difference that she is making for young girls and women who have been through the same experience as her. You are going to love this episode. Erica was also my first international guest, which was super exciting and just amazing how someone that I'd never met before, someone that, you know, I have, have we haven't even been on the same piece of land in our lives and just feeling so connected and she just shared so much into her story and it was just so heartfelt to hear. So I know you're going to love this. The first question that I asked Erica was what she thought the biggest misconception about vitiligo was. 
I think it's funny because I think a few years ago when I started blogging about vitiligo, I would have said the biggest misconception is that it's contagious and it's not. But today, like three years later, I think it's such a different world that we're in because there's so much more awareness about vitiligo. And that's really great because we have, you know, models and cover girls and people with vitiligo in the news and stuff like that. And so I think there's a lot more awareness. And so I think the biggest misconception today is actually more more about assuming how someone feels about their skin because I think with this kind of global conversation about inclusivity and natural beauty and kind of accepting who you are a lot more people are really embracing their skin and so I think it can be hard for people who have vitiligo who are both struggling and who like their skin to kind of have someone approach them in a way that assumes something that might not be the truth and so I think The biggest thing that I would tell people is just to ask instead of assume. Like, it can't hurt to ask someone a question like, oh, hey, you know, how do you feel about that? Or how are you doing? But I think when you assume something about another person, that's kind of where that gets tricky. Yeah, I think that's a really important and relevant point. Yeah. So tell us about your story with vitiligo. Yeah, absolutely. So I got vitiligo when I was seven years old. It started with just a few spots along my spine and then on my knees. And my mom kind of suspected that it was vitiligo because her mom, my grandmother, lived with vitiligo for a large part of her life. And so we went to the doctor, got it diagnosed. And after that, we did pursue treatment for a little while. I did a topical cream that I would put like on my knees and some of my spots but the vitiligo was growing so fast that cream just couldn't really keep up with it. And so we talked about like light treatment and other kinds of things, but at that point in time, we kind of just decided together, my parents and I, that I wasn't going to pursue treatment anymore. And so over the course of like the next 20 years, vitiligo just took over all of my skin, like from head to toe. So I'm actually today 100% depigmented. I've lost all of my pigment to vitiligo. Wow. And what age Mm -hmm. were you when you decided to cease treatment? I think that was, I mean, pretty early on in the process. I don't have any specific memory. I'd have to ask my mom. She probably knows better than me, but... I would say it was like under 10, but but I have never regretted that decision. I get that question a lot. People are like, oh, do you wish you had not stopped treatment? And even though living with vitiligo has been hard, I've never once like looked back on that and kind of wished I had made a different decision. That's excellent. I think Mm -hmm. what I was thinking, it just shows what maturity, you know, at such a young age to yeah. Say, no, this is this is me, this is my skin and I'm going to accept it and embrace it and Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so tell us what was it like growing up with vitiligo? You mentioned it didn't bother you. Were, were there times early on that it did? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, those first few years when I had it, I think I was really confident. And my mom tells me the story of, you know, I told her one day that even if I could change it and my skin, you know, I could wake up and my vitiligo is just gone, it wouldn't change anything because I'm still the same person. And so while I think I kind of held on to that throughout the course of my life, I definitely struggled, especially moving into high school. I ended up transitioning from a private school to a public school, so I didn't know anybody, and that was really hard. And that was also at a time when, you know, you're a teenager and, you know, meeting people, and it was just scary. I was struggling personally a lot. And so I kind of had this, like, very tough outer 
like approach to it where I would joke about it with my friends. I would let them outline my spots in gel pens. I ran cross country and I wrote sea spot run on the back of my t-shirt and stuff like that. And I was even a lifeguard in, you know, in the summer and worked in a bathing suit a lot of the time and, you know, stuff like that. But then at the same time, um, on the inside, I really was struggling. And I went through a period where I cried myself to sleep at night because I just hated the way that I looked. And I was obsessed with this idea of could I ever look normal again? Or how would my life be different if I didn't have this? And there was a point where I really didn't believe that I deserved to have friends because I was in such a low place personally that I didn't even want to be friends with myself. So I definitely think it kind of an odd balance of like struggling and trying to be me and trying to laugh it off and stuff like that. And I think as I moved through high school, especially right before I went to college, I started to realize that I was the only one really holding me back. And if I could get past it, other people would too. And so I think I went into college with a whole new approach that was that I just, even if I don't really like it, I need to just like be my happy, confident self and people will kind of take that as that. And it kind of worked. And like, I had a really great college experience, made a lot of friends and then I think post-college, when I got to the point where I was heavily spotted, that was right before I lost all of my pigment, um, was like the second kind of period where I really struggled and it was really hard for me to leave the house again and deal with the stairs and stuff like that. And then that kind of leads me to being 100% depigmented, which is a lot easier just because I'm one color again. So definitely mm. a roller coaster of events yeah. there. And times of internalizing that pain. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I guess that might even come with a personality type that, you know, on the outside, you know, you're quite bubbly, you're confident, mm -hmm. you're personable, perhaps a little bit of an extrovert in some cases. And sometimes when someone does have that outwardly expression, it's really hard to determine, is there actually something deeper going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that when I did try to talk about it, it's just vitiligo is something that's so hard to understand if you've never gone through it because who can expect to actually lose their skin color? Like that's a weird thing. Like you never expect that your skin color would start disappearing. So I think it's hard to relate to. And I think when I did try to express how I was feeling, sometimes when people try to pick you up, they just tell you, you know, oh, it's okay. Like you're beautiful, like all that kind of stuff. But really that ended up actually just kind of making me feel like I was like unheard and like my feelings weren't validated. And so that almost became more painful. And then I ended up not talking about it as much a little bit, just because I didn't think that anyone could understand what I was going through. Yeah, I can completely understand that. Yeah. So, Erica, you've lost 100% of your pigment now. How mm -hmm. often does this actually happen to those with vitiligo? And <laughs> what was it kind of like for you? You've kind of explained the, the emotional process, but yeah. perhaps talk about like the the physiological process of that yeah so it is very rare i don't know for sure if there's an answer about how many people have that but universal vitiligo is considered 80 percent or more loss of pigment and i've lost a hundred percent so just universal is rare the fact that i've lost 100 percent of it is even more rare um, a doctor did tell me once that you know one percent of people have vitiligo maybe one percent have universal and so then for me to lose all of it that's you know less than one percent of the one percent so it doesn't happen very often and i think the experience of losing it i mean 
on some level at one point I was mostly spotted and then I went to just be in one color again. And so I think on the one hand, like not having spots again for the first time in what was a very long, like two decades for me was incredible because for the first time I was walking down the street and not being stared at. And that sense of freedom and like the fact that I was invisible for the first time in my life, which is all I had ever wanted to be, was so relieving and just so amazing that I was just so excited like to finally be at this place where I wasn't going to be stared at and I could almost kind of live my life in peace, like leaving the house without everyone looking at me or questioning me or stuff like that. But then at the same time, I think what people don't realize is that just because I am one color again doesn't mean that any of that like emotional pain has gone away like you don't live with this for 20 years and then just wake up without spots and like you're fine and life is good i think like i still carry a lot of emotional scars from having gone through that and in a lot of ways like i'm still dealing with the fact that the way i look today is not the way that i looked when i was little and like this is a completely different version of me that i could have never anticipated like little Mm. me like looking at the future like i feel like i've been robbed of like the way that i would have looked before so still you know struggling with some of these like feelings of why me and like this is me, but it's not me because this is what a disease has done to me. And just kind of trying to like reconcile that, like that part of it, like doesn't stop just because I don't have spots anymore. And I think for the first few years, especially, I still felt like I had spots. And I think I still looked at the world as if I had spots. And when they were looking at me, they could see my spots, even though I was the only one that would ever know that I had them. I think it's just still so ingrained in like my thought patterns and my emotions. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Of course. You recently took off the full body tanner that you've been wearing for five mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Tell us about that decision and yeah. what has going tanner free been like for you? Uh, well, it's been amazing. So when I was getting close to losing all of my pigments, so I was very tan growing up. And so because of that, like as I started getting to the point where I was losing most of my skin color, I would wear tanner just to try to like even it out, like the difference between the vitiligo and my natural skin color. And then once I lost all my pigment, I just started wearing tanner head to toe because in my mind, that was the way that I was supposed to look. That was the way that I knew myself. And so the tanner helped me feel like I was closer to who I really was. And so I wore that religiously for five years. And I, at one point, was doing spray tans. I switched to like a self-tanner that I would use at home. But needless to say, it was very time intensive, very expensive, and just like just a very difficult thing to go through every day. But it was still worth it for me to feel just a little bit more like my old self. And so over the past few years, I've started like kind of lightening the shade of the color that I've been using. And it really just got to a point where I was getting tired of applying tanner every day. And I was also kind of curious about what I actually looked like, because ever since I had gone completely spot free, like once I lost all my pigment, like I'd never seen myself without tanner. And so I had been toying with this idea of taking it off. I was doing a body confidence workshop in New York this past spring. And part of the workshop was a photo shoot. And I was like, well, if it's a body confidence workshop, I should probably show up, you know, as myself without Tanner on. 
but I wasn't really sure when I should take it off or if I should just take it off or that or what. And so one day I woke up and I just decided, you know, today's the day. So I hopped on Instagram, Living Dappled's Instagram, and I told the community that I was going to do this just to make sure that I didn't go back on my word. I think that was it. And I haven't applied Tanner since. And it's been really great. I think those first few days were scary for me. It was very like hard to walk into work around people who had seen me only as Erica with Tanner to be Erica with no pigment. But I really, there was like such a lack of reaction from people that it, that was almost shocking. But it kind of made me feel good because people just see me as me. And again, I think it was more of a mental block than anything. And just that ease of day-to-day life now and just knowing that I can just like wake up and be me and not have to worry about Tanner every day is like so freeing. Not to mention tan on clothes, sheets, trying to get it off the palms of your hand. Like for anyone that's used just, you know, tan just for an aesthetic type purpose, Mm -hmm. it can be a real process. Oh, absolutely. I used to, I had sheets for tanning nights and I would like change the sheets on my bed for the nights I was going to tan. I would take towels to hotels because the tanner will just get on all of those white hotel towels. Raining, anytime it was raining, it was really difficult because it would like leave streaks in your tanner. Going to the pool or the beach was always a problem. There were just so many instances where sweating at the gym, it would get all over your clothes. So yeah, there were a lot of instances where it just, living with tanner can be really difficult. And so it's just very freeing to like kind of say bye to all of that and not have to worry about all of these different things. Oh, I can imagine. (laughs) And what were other people's reactions to your vitiligo throughout your life? I think there were kind of two reactions. The first one was the staring. And so that was like people in public anytime I left the house, just staring at me in the grocery store or walking down the street or wherever it was. And I think that one was hard because when you already have low self-esteem and you kind of feel like a freak and you feel ugly, people staring at you, even if it's just out of curiosity, can just reinforce that negative like repetition in your brain. And it would just send me into like this negative emotional spiral of thoughts that was just really toxic. And so that was hard to have that reaction from people. But then the other reaction, I think, that I got the most was kind of what I referred to earlier with people who are closer to me when I would try to open up about it and say that I was struggling, kind of the sentiment was, you know, oh no, you're beautiful. Like, I don't even notice it. Like all of that kind of stuff. And that, although of course I understand that, like they're trying to be supportive, that kind of the idea that like, oh, they don't even notice and they don't even see it. They can't even like see the pain that I'm going through is almost kind of just like pushing my feelings to the side instead of acknowledging them. And that was also hurtful because like you want to feel validated in what you're feeling. And I think that is the power and like the healing that I found by starting to talk about vitiligo and blog about it because being able to find other people that actually can understand what I'm going through is just like it's just so healing to know that you're not alone. I want to touch on that a little bit more Erica because it's really interesting I've kind of been bringing this conversation up on our Instagram page about you know this idea that friends or family say I can't even notice it and it's their attempt to try and make someone feel better about whatever condition that they're experiencing yeah but it's not necessarily helpful how would you Mm -hmm. recommend someone approach this like is there Mm -hmm. 
some conversations, sentences, things that we can kind of say or do to make someone feel like they've been listened to? Is there anything that you can think of that's helped? Well, so I think it's actually, it's just the listening that helps. I think the hard part about it is that like when I would share these feelings, I know that they can't fix it. And I know that's probably frustrating for someone to hear, but like they can't fix my skin. There's absolutely nothing they can do about this. But the one thing that they can do is listen. And I just wanted to be heard and I just wanted someone to understand like the way that I was feeling. And if they had even just sat there and like just continued to ask me questions instead of like offering advice and just giving me like the platform and the time just to like speak and to get it out I think would have been more healing overall so it's almost in like there's more power in like what's not said almost in the situation but just taking that time to like listen or even trying to repeat back like what you're hearing instead of trying to take the approach of trying to fix it or instead just putting it back into a question you know like what can I do for you Because it wasn't, I don't know that anyone ever asked me that question. Instead, it was like them just trying to like be like, oh, you know, but you're beautiful, you know, like it's okay, all that kind of stuff. But like when you're not feeling beautiful and you're not feeling okay, like that's where it's harmful. And so just saying, you know, how can I help you? How can I be there for you? And if I have an ask, then, you know, by all means, like jump on it and help me with whatever it is. But It's a tricky situation. I really do. I think like a lot of families with people who have skin conditions like struggle with this. I, yeah, totally agree. And I think Mm -hmm. it's this concept that as a loved one or a family member, we want to remove the pain from someone that Mm -hmm. we're seeing is experiencing the pain. And one way that we feel like we can do that is by offering a solution. And sometimes that's not the solution. Like you said, sometimes it's just to be heard. Yeah. But that's hard to like know that you can't really offer a real solution when that's all that you want to do. Yeah, this sense of radical acceptance and just accepting this is my new normal or this is my loved one's new normal. So how can we make this as smooth sailing as possible? Yeah, exactly. And how do you care for your skin today? Lots of sunscreen. (laughs) Um, Because I don't have any pigment, I burn very easily. So I wear foundation most of the time. And so my foundation has sunscreen in it. And I actually work indoors most days. So I don't, I wouldn't say I put sunscreen on every day. But if I'm going outside, I just make sure that like I plan my activities to be in the shade or, you know, in the earlier, later parts of the day. And I'm always carrying sunscreen on me to make sure I'm protected. But other than that, I mean, I take vitamins and supplements. But yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, sunscreen is a big topic in Australia, as you may or may Mm -hmm. not know, Australia is the capital of skin cancer. I did not know that. Yeah, so sunscreen's always something that's just on the tip of my lips here, saying, (laughs) apply your sunscreen, apply your sunscreen. Always. Yeah. And you started a blog about vitiligo called Living Dappled, which I've been Mm -hmm. following and quite closely and just love your page. Can you tell us a little bit more, more about why you started it? 
Yeah. So uh, as I was growing up with vitiligo, like over the years, I would have people approach me. I think it happened like three different times where someone would walk up to me and just say like, wow, like you're so confident. I know someone who won't leave the house with, you know, without wearing, you know, a turtleneck, long sleeves and pants and you're here in shorts and just stuff like that. And it always kind of took me by surprise because I, as I told you, like really struggled on the inside, but despite that, I wasn't going to stop wearing shorts and dresses because it was just really hot outside. <laughs> so I still continued to do, you know, for the most part, the things that I loved anyway. And so the sentiment that I was getting from people was kind of surprising to me. And then with that, I've always had a love of writing. And so I, you know, kind of thought, oh, you know, I wonder if I do have a point of view or a perspective that might be able to inspire other people. And so I started looking online to see what kind of blogs existed at the time. And this was three or four years ago. And there wasn't much out there. It was a lot of personal blogs and a lot of content about treatment. But, you know, treatment is while it's getting better, it's, you know, hit or miss, and it's also expensive and, you know, sometimes like time intensive. And so I really thought that there was just a missed opportunity to talk about everyday life with vitiligo and how you wake up and look in the mirror and see skin that's like constantly changing and how you figure out how to get dressed and how you go to the grocery store and see someone staring and still kind of get through your day. And I just think there was like this big, you know, hole in the web that I kind of needed to fill. So I really wanted to create a space that was inspiring and uplifting for women with vitiligo, but then also very realistic because I think that there's healing and talking about pain and kind of the hardships that you're going through. And then over the course of the last three years that I've been doing this, it's kind of evolved even a little bit more because I think there's just such a lack of information and resources about vitiligo that I started attracting people just who are looking for basic information about this condition. And so it's kind of like educational, inspirational, just kind of how to take on life with vitiligo. And what is the one thing you've learned, I guess, after blogging for about vitiligo for these three years? I think just that sharing a story is like so incredibly powerful. It's been powerful for me because I really think that I've been able to emotionally heal by writing and sharing these stories. When I first started blogging, I would just sit there and cry as I like mm. typed away because like this, the pain that was coming out, you know, on this keyboard was just so intense. And I do still have those moments from time to time. But for the most part, I'm in a much different headspace today because I've kind of gotten this out and really like healed in that way. But then also the number one thing that I hear back from readers is that they're just so thankful to not be alone. And so I think that the power of sharing a story and just like knowing that you are not the only person going through this, especially when vitiligo is a rare disease and you don't normally like find other people in your everyday life that have this. Like, so just finding that story and just knowing that like you're not the only person going through something, I've like literally seen it can be so powerful to see other women going through the same things, having the same conversations, like thinking the same thoughts. And that's just been like actually able to like change people's lives. And so it's been beautiful to see. Yeah, that's so amazing. And mm -hmm. that sense that I'm not isolated, you know, I'm not the yes. only one. Yeah. Because even though our minds can say, you know, I know there's other people out there that are going through whatever this mm -hmm. is when you're in that kind of darker, more emotional state, you do feel, you can feel very alone in whatever yeah. it, it is that you're feeling. A hundred percent. 
yeah, that community building is so fantastic and so mm-hmm. great with social media that you've got this platform. Yeah. What would you like to see more of in the industry, perhaps relating to either skin health or vitiligo? I think just awareness. I mean, we've come so much in the past three years, but there's still so much more work to do. I think like my favorite example in the past year was Barbie posting a picture on Instagram of a Barbie doll with vitiligo. And it's not actually for sale, but I thought that just the picture of a Barbie with vitiligo was so powerful because I think, like, I think about my childhood and, like, you didn't see Barbies with vitiligo. And Barbie is, like, you know, the coolest doll. Everyone wants to be Barbie. Everyone wants to have Barbie. And so to have a Barbie that actually looks like me, like, when I think about, like, what, like, the impact that that would have made, like, when I was a little girl, like, is just incredible. And so it's so exciting to think that the young people today who are growing up with this will be surrounded with these icons and role models who look like them. It's just like, it's just so exciting. And I wish that like I had had that growing up and like everything that I've created today, I created like in some sense because I didn't have it when I was growing up and I wanted to have that. And like, I wish that the women that I'm surrounded by today, like, could have been my friends, like, as I was growing up, because I think, you know, it just would have been a completely different world. And so the more that we can, like, include, you know, people who look different in our advertising and commercials and magazines and TV and all of that kind of stuff, like, I just think that will go, like, a long way for people living with this condition. Mm, Absolutely. And what would you like to get out of achieving, out of sharing your story? if I could just make one one other person feel less alone, I would consider my job done. I just, I remember when I was first, you know, thinking about starting this blog, I found this girl with vitiligo on a blog post and I tracked her down and was able to connect with her through one of the social media platforms. And so I just remember that night that I called her, I had never actually had a conversation with someone else with vitiligo. And I just like sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because for the first time in my life, like it was like I was talking to someone who just knew me and like just going back to that whole thing about like the power of like not being alone, like that literally, that conversation changed my life and I woke up like the next day, like a completely different person and if I can do that for someone else, like that just, like I know that will like make a difference. Yeah, what a beautiful sentiment. Thank you. Can you give us three pieces of advice for someone that is experiencing vitiligo now? Yeah, Um, absolutely. I think the first thing I would say is to just be kind to yourself. I think everyone could learn from that. But living with vitiligo is so hard. And I just think that, like, if you're living with this, like, you need to be patient with yourself. You need to be kind to yourself. You need to just, like, give yourself the time and the space to, like, move through this and cope and, like, know that you're not going to be perfect every day and that's okay. Like, it's okay to struggle with it. Like, you're going to have your bad days and, like, give yourself the space and the time to have a bad day because I think, you know, like, when I was growing up, when I was having a bad day, you know, I would feel guilty even about struggling with it because I'm like, oh, like, I should just get myself together. Like, I shouldn't be, like, feeling like this, like, you know, whatever. And really, if I had just given myself, like, a little bit more kindness and patience to kind of, like, move through that at my own pace, like, I think I would have been a lot happier or something. 
I think the second thing is just like not to wait to live your life. I think there were a lot of times that, you know, like I skipped the pool or I skipped the beach or in some ways I just thought that like I could be happy later once my spots were gone. And I don't know why I ever thought that like <laughs> I was not going to live with vitiligo. But I think for a lot of my life I did think that. And there's just like you can find happiness like today and like I just you only get one life and so like not waiting to like live your life until some future moment I think is important I think that can be hard for people but you know just not wasting the time that you have today just because of your skin and then I think the third would be to find a support system to find someone else with vitiligo who is going through this with you because that Again, I think that seems to be the theme of today, but <laughs> that's just so powerful to find someone who really gets you and knows what you're going through. And there are Facebook groups, there are vitiligo conferences, there are, you know, all sorts of like support networks and everything out there today. So if you're looking for support, like it definitely exists out there. That's wonderful advice. And where can people find more about vitiligo? Yeah, uh, Living Dappled has a lot of great resources. So people can visit livingdappled.com. And we have all sorts of information about vitiligo and also especially for parents of kids with vitiligo too. That's great. And make sure you go and give Living Dappled a follow on Instagram as well. They share um, great stories and it's also an aesthetically beautiful page. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. So Erica, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. It was so wonderful to speak with you on the other side of the world. Yes. Completely (laughs) different time zones. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thank you. What an interview. I loved speaking to Erica and hearing her story and she was just so open and honest and raw about sharing her experiences, which I know at times in her life and even to this very day she still finds quite challenging. The three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were this sense of 100% vitiligo. Firstly, I didn't know that was a thing. And Erica is 1% of the vitiligo population. But the other thing is now that she doesn't have any obvious um, spottiness of her skin and she's all even and in one color, it doesn't take away the fact that she still does have vitiligo. And she did express that, you know, she still will look in the mirror and she's still... I guess, has this identity as someone with vitiligo. And of course, but for someone that is on the outside, they may think, well, your skin looks completely normal. So I think it's just about having this sense to be more gentle with people, have more acceptance and and understand that you're not going to know what they're feeling inside, even if they look completely uh, like there's nothing wrong on the outside. Number two, despite feeling different and sometimes self-conscious, Erica did not say no to things in her life. And just when speaking with Erica, I sensed this resilience and this bigger than life personality that was ever positive. It was so refreshing because I think even someone that 
you know, has everything going for them and doesn't have a skin condition, sometimes can have this negativity that can really just drag things down and and take away the magic of life. And I really just sensed this love of life and this passion from Erica that was just really beautiful. And number three, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Erica uh, that was touched me. So Erica said, understand that you can love yourself and that loving yourself will make you happy. And then pursue that every single day with everything you have. It's going to take courage and you're going to have to push yourself out of your comfort zone, but you can get there and you'll never look back once you're there. So thank you so much for sharing your earbuds with us for another episode of the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'd love to hear what you thought of this interview with Erica Page and we'll see you next week. If you know someone experiencing a skin condition or concern and you're enjoying these episodes, then be sure to share the podcast with them. It may help them on their skin health journey more than you realize.